So now we're going to pick up about after that case where the lady, I led, she threw me on the bus, she made didn't do it. What was your question? Right. So picking, piggybacking off of that, has there ever been any other ethical challenges or situations or with clients or cases that you've dealt with? Um, I've had, it's funny, a lot of those cases I had was when I first started out early on, you know, because I did not expect someone to, to be that deviant, you know, um, like a lot of them have knowledge at CPS. One guy said I was being racist to him because I wanted him to get a lease. He thought I was being racist. Um, but luckily, you know, I, I knew what to say in front of a judge. So the judge agreed with me. You need to get a lease. And then the racist thing went out the window. Um, but as far as like working in private practice, uh, I don't think racism has ever come up. No, I mean, I, cause I pretty much the word, like I said, the benefit of private practice, I can see who I want to see. So I can pretty much sniff it out and I'll stop it early in the game before it's too late. Now that I've been working long enough. So as of late, I don't think uh, I'm trying to think, mm -mm, I don't think anybody has come to me with race. Any other ethical challenges? outside of race i have sometimes it, I, I think the challenge is a, is a personal thing i don't think it's like a the other person's but i have um a challenge with uh working with teenage girls i always feel like i don't want to be left alone with a teenage girl and she telling me her intimate problems so um when a lot of times when parents bring their teenage because i see kids so they bring their teenage daughters and say my teenage daughter's doing this my teenage doing that teenage daughter's doing you know i need to see somebody you know and um, so what I've done now to avoid that stressor, I've arranged uh, a collaborative effort with a lady therapist who's like maybe 10 minutes from my office. And she's the same way. She's for the same problem. She's like, you know, I get like teenage boys and they can't really open up to me. So we have like this exchange where okay. um, I, I refer most, most of teenage girls to her and she sends most of the teenage boys to me. I think the only time I really don't send teenage girls is if it's part of like family counseling and we're all in the room at the same time, you know, or, um, or if like they have a mom and dad in the house, if it's like a nuclear family, okay. then I'll see the teenage daughter. But that's mainly to avoid counter transference. I don't want to take on this fatherly role for somebody. So for me, if they have a dad, I feel better about not trans counter transferring any father role, you know, so, yeah. Okay. So, what would you say? I know you've talked about before as far as like being able to be stern with yourself as far as like burning on and taking vacations. Um, has there ever been a, a, a situation either earlier on in your career where you felt that you may have been burned out and needed to get away or you weren't able to practice the self-care in, in time? Uh, yeah, during this pandemic, yeah. It was really like that because um, we got, like, I had COVID for two weeks and I was out, you know, all full blown symptoms, all that stuff. And so bills were getting back due. So I was out there hitting, trying to see whoever I could see, you know, and um, on top of that, then I started having, uh, what's it called? The long haul effects, you know, so I was having like severe, severe chest pains. Okay. Um, sometimes I get the, the, I still get brain fog every now and then, which is really why I write down more, but I was getting severe chest pains and um, I get, I get daily headaches. Now I get them every, every morning I get a headache. Mm. And so these things play a factor. And so I took off, I tried to take off a week, you know, and I'm trying to make the most of this 
downtime now, but during the pandemic, any downtime I take is way more costly than if it was in person. You know, like if I don't see someone today, I may not see them again, like period. They go somewhere else, you know, and uh, if I don't answer my phone, they just go to the next person. So there really is no downtime when you don't, when you don't have the clientele that you once had, you know, so like every call, even the spam calls get answered. Even I don't care who it is, whatever it is, I got to answer the phone. Got to make sure the client on the other end, I got to talk, you know, and it's getting to a point now where I'm getting an aversion to the phone ringing, you know, because it, when it rings, I, I have to be there because if I, if I see a missed call, that's like food out the window. You know, I know they go on to the next person. So um, to face the burnout, I mean, yeah, I'm in it now. I'm in burnout right now. Go on, next question. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, A writer, no. Um, what's the best thing about the profession that you enjoy or what brings you satisfaction? Oh, uh, the laughs, like we just did, the comedy, the jokes. <laughs> You know, hearing someone else's story and realizing that we're, we're all just ordinary people. It's all the same, you know. Um, I'll, it's interesting because, like, I have the degrees and I have all these things. And I tell tell my clients, I can have eight degrees. It doesn't matter if I have a, a degree or a PhD in your specific life. You know, I can't, I can't help you so much, you know. But um, I do like the conversation. I do like the help. I do like to see the progress people make. You know, I like I like coming in and seeing the puzzle on the floor and putting it back together. Okay. So that's fun to me. And uh, I also hope to go from here to do more community work where I can do for the community what I do for individuals, like a macro systems kind of thing. That was my minor in grad school. Well, not minor. I should say I don't have minors in grad school, but it was like my sub. I guess they had minors that would have been macro system focus your your direction so yeah 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 but my my focus in grad schools with with children and family okay now what would you say is something that you dislike uh i saw a lack of pay i mean my my biggest problem currently which i have not found out how to answer yet maybe somebody could figure it out is the um lack of closure you know like I go through the process, get to know them, and you know if they don't want to come anymore, I won't even know. They'll just be like, "I'm like, you want to reschedule?" And they just ghost me. They won't answer. They won't turn the phone call. They won't do anything. I call them up, say, "Hey, you know, you want to come back in?" No answer. No nothing. Or I'll get the whole, "Oh, no, we're fine." And I'm like, "Well, no, you're not." Last week we were just crying, but that was it. And um, it was the same with CPS. You know, I'd send the case. They would go all the way completion. We do a whole thing, ending session, all of that. And then um, I don't know if they got their kids back or not. I just know I helped them through counseling. Now if they got their kids. I don't know unless I get subpoenaed. Let's get bring in, you know. And, and with probation, same thing. There's no closure once they're done with the program. I'm assuming they got our probation. They don't ever call back. You know, being a therapist is like being a fireman. No one calls you if your house ain't on fire. And no one comes to me and says, "Hey, thanks for helping me out. I'm good at what I. Do. I'm better now. Got my kid. Blah blah blah." Every now and then, I may get someone to call me back to schedule another session, and I and I'll ask them, "Oh, did you get your kids back?" And they're like, "Yeah, I got my kids back." I'm like, "Oh, I have someone 
called me out to probation. Say, oh, how are you and the wife? Oh, yeah, we got back together, you know, and um, but they don't call me. You know, it's hard to really do a follow up with private pay for me, private, you know. So uh, we, we can stop right here and then we get to some more of your questions here. All right. So, uh, yeah, so that was the last thing you asked me. What was the what I dislike? And I was saying that the closure is the lack of closure in some instances are the dislike. But go ahead. Okay. So that's like kind of like plays in back part of the satisfaction, the success stories or helping people get things together. So being able to see the conclusion of that would kind of be like the icing on the cake of one of the reasons that you got involved with it in the first place. Right, right. It'd be good to know that someone maintain like they come back five years later and they've maintained sobriety, you know, this whole time or to see someone with their kid and the kids like going to college or not even going to college, but like, you know, making A's, making good grades in school or, you know, or hearing about a case where the marriage is still together, just, you know, despite infidelity or whatnot. Um, but I don't get that. I don't, you know, I get right now, which is like, yeah, well, when they leave now, I know they're good because we've worked at it. But um, I don't get that closure. It'd be nice, though. Hmm. So what would you say is the biggest challenge for the profession profession as a whole? Um, is the stigma. Uh, is the stigma of it all. People still put mental health in the box, despite medical evidence proving that most mental health problems, most health problems stem from mental health, hypertension, high blood pressure, um, ulcers, these things, migraines. Most of those problems can be prevented by preventative mental health. But because of, I don't know how this, I don't know who did it first or why is it this way, but now it's been stigmatized and people think they can get a pill instead of getting a therapist and they prefer to get the medicine. And that, that hurts to feel because when you start counseling, it already has an exit strategy. Whereas when you start medication, they say that, but people end up taking medication for the rest of their life. So, and a lot of insurances, like I said before, don't cover it. They don't pay for it. They'll pay for the medicine, they pay for the emergency room, but they don't pay for behavioral health. If they do, they don't pay well. Because I know like just recently, recently, I know with the whole COVID outbreak, it was a big part to add that into some of the different company insurance plans or covering that because they realized people were coping with the whole isolation and the COVID crisis was going to be a bigger mental strain and it finally got the respect and I guess getting congressional backing, uh, lobbyists and all those things as far as I said to fight for the profession is a big thing like the, the same way like the tobacco and and NRA, they have those lobbyists fighting for their people. Um, I think it's the same thing with counselors as far as like getting their names out there, getting their foot in the door, uh, portability and all those other different issues that are important to us. Uh, just getting the legislative and respect as well and the government yeah. respect as well. That's true. I mean, that's, it's, it's, it, yeah, it's the stigma and it's lack of respect because they do all these things now, but depression's been around well before this pandemic. You know, right. so has family violence. I was watching the show today, you know, about family violence and domestic violence. This stuff's not new, you know, but for some reason we get this pandemic and now it's like, well, let me see if I could change A, B, C, or D. And when you didn't care about alcoholism before, that was always been an issue, but there's always this stigma 
and it's always the um the media hype you know i don't know if media hype i hate to say that but i know there is a a view of therapy as a mental health side is like a sign of weakness and therapy is like you know a hippie and long dressed and you know let's meditate and all this kind of stuff so um it's it's, it's just a bad deal because people really put mental health in a weird box and i don't know where it came from if it's an ego thing or if it's because I don't know where it started, but here we are now where mental health is seen as a weakness and a luxury in a lot of situations. We'll stop here and then we'll come back for our dramatic conclusion. Okay, so now for this last installment here, we've talked about my career, what I do and don't like, uh, um, the things I've faced as being a black therapist. And now we have our final couple questions here. Go ahead. Great. Uh, once again, I appreciate you taking the time to have this discussion, Rashad. I uh, thank you very much for your insight and the things you've been able to share. So, jewels and nuggets for sure. Oh, great. Good. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Glad I could help. Now, for one biggest nugget, what would you advise or want to tell someone just entering the field? Uh, that they should look out for or just be aware of. Okay, I would say don't do it. No, I'm playing. No, no. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but one of the things I, I have noticed is that you, you should notice your own biases, know your own population that you can and cannot work with. Don't sign up for um, child sexual abuse if you are not ready to hear some of those stories. You know, don't sign up to do PTSD with war heroes if you, you know, if you don't like acts of war, if you don't want to take that kind of stuff, know your own weaknesses and be prepared, be prepared to lay them, be prepared to lay them weaknesses out when you go out in the field and you get your own profession or when you work for somebody, you know, just don't apply for whatever job. All you're doing is, you know, hurting, hurting the client when you do that because they come looking for someone who, who wants to help them with these ailment and here you are going, well, it pays well, so I'm going to do it. No, it's not really fair to the client. So, you know, that's one thing I would definitely note. Know your own biases. No matter what the finance, like even here with this, even though I was out two months, I could have went on and gone to VA. It would have been a problem. I could have signed up for a whole bunch of things, but I know I'm not, that's not my expertise, so I wouldn't do that. So, Okay. And the final question, what would, what is one thing you wish someone had told you when you started out? Uh, I wish they would have told me about the, uh, I, I heard a lot of myths about coming into that counseling and I wish someone would have told me that those were just myths, you know, like being a black therapist, like they say, you know, you could write your own check, being a black male therapist, you could be a mentor, blah, blah, blah. And then when you get out here, you realize that most black men do not go to counseling. So that will, you know, these little, I wish someone would have told me that's not true. I wish someone would have told me that um, ex uh, one thing, especially with drug counseling, is that a lot of people will discredit you if you do not have that same experience. It doesn't matter about your degrees. Uh, so many clients I have, they say, well, if you've never used cocaine, how can you tell me how to stop using cocaine? You know, or I have a lot of clients before I had kids. You know, you don't have any kids. You don't know what it's like to be a parent. You know, when, when it comes down to it, when rubber hits the road, People do not care about your degrees. 
they get you in the door to people's lives, but they really care about your experiences. And that's um, something no one told me. They, I thought when, when I got my degree, I could counsel anybody. When I got out here, people pretty much had their own biases coming into it. And they, they let me know. Clients let you know. You don't know what you're talking about. Even if you do, they will tell you you don't know what you're talking about. How do you combat that? Or how um, did you or how would you do that now? Uh, sometimes I, I just use a quick jab right back. I was like, you know, just because a doctor, I mean, not every cardiologist had a heart attack. So, I mean, you gonna stop seeing them, yeah. you know, or, okay. uh, when it comes to racism, you know, I just have a complete session. It's like, hey, let's lay it out. What are your qualms about me being black? Just lay it out. We can have a whole cultural diversity thing, you know, and I hear some interesting stuff. Like uh, one time a lady told me she thought that, you know, black parents are way more violent toward their kids than other parents. Like we don't do timeouts or we don't do grounding or punishments, you know. Okay. And, and so I told her, I was like, how do you know what I do in my house? You know, I was like, I use timeouts. I don't, I don't expect my kid. Who told you this? You know, and she's like, well, black people in my experience, I said, well, you can't make that statement across the board. You don't know what people are doing, you know? And so a lot of things I thwart when it happens, when I see it, I put, throw the flag on the play right there. I said, let's just address that elephant in the room. If you, this is what you think about me as a male or think about me as a therapist, we need to talk about that right now, you know, and we have a, a session. I, I, I don't even like judge them. I let them have their, I, I ask open-ended questions, let them just let it out. And then I tell them, you know, I, I can't undo your bias for 30 years, whatever, or how many years you've been alive, whatever box you put me in is gender, religion, all these kind of things. I can't undo it, you know, but I will help you the best I can. And you can take from it what you want. Uh, when I was in grad school, they cut uh, my um, advisor said counseling like spaghetti. You know, you throw it against the wall. Some of it sticks, some of it don't. That's what I do. And I go to home night sleep saying, you know what? That whatever happens, that's them. I have done the most I could ethically do. As long as I keep within the realms of my own ethics and morals, that's really all I can offer somebody. Okay. So, Great. I uh, hope I got anything else. Do I give you enough info about the... Great info. Great info. I appreciate it all. Okay. Okay. If you got any more questions, let me know. I, if you're thinking of something right now that you want to ask, now is the <laughs> good. Like I tell my client, now's a good time to ask because I'm not going to go back down this road again. So if speak you now, forever holds your peace. Yeah. And so not good I, stuff. But I appreciate you taking the time to answer the questions. Been very helpful. Thank oh, you very much. Oh no problem, Chris. Anytime, anytime. Um. So yeah, this is fun. This is going to be like my first podcast. So we'll see. If I get to be on Good Morning America as a life, I ain't even talk about the whole life coach aspect. You even ask about that. If you want to know, I hate life coaches, and that can be recorded. I don't care. I don't like them. <laughs> you can't take a seminar online and do what I do. No, you cannot do that. That's not some eighteen-week course in Oregon. No, this is real life, real stuff. So I do not like life coaches. I do not like people on TV claiming to be a life coach on the news like this person should not be on the news giving out poor advice there you go there's another hurdle dealing with the life coach or as my um as one of my colleagues put it it's like uh seeing a doctor and be like oh 
you're like a nurse then, or you're like a LVN, or you're like a, you know, a paramedic. You're like, no, I'm a surgeon. That's what I said, paramedic. That's what it's like. Like life coach, really? No, it's not the same. So I have issues with. Uh, I will add that to the problems with the profession. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I always see some life coach on, you know, Good Morning America or Today Show giving out these odd, you know, live, laugh, pray, pearls of wisdom. I'm mean, like, get off TV. Get it. Just get off because <laughs> it's so offensive at this point. So, but yeah, there's that. But uh, I guess we'll wrap up then. Um, I will just let you know, I will definitely be using that quote in the paper about your feelings about the life coach. That was excellent. No I'm not a nurse, I'm a surgeon. That will be quoted for sure. If you want to get the frustration, once you graduate, go interview a life coach and then you will see the frustration. So, but yeah, that's that's for free. You can add that in. I hope you get an A and uh, thank you for my first podcast. I'll post it up and see what happens. All right, then, great. All right. You Thank have you, good Rashad. Evening. I appreciate it. No problem. No problem. This is Christopher Washington at Southern Methodist, right? University, SMU. Got to say all three letters. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Southern Methodist University. Yeah, I'm a local. So here in the local, you just say the school, Baylor, Texas, A&M. You don't say the whole thing. <laughs> People look if you. I feel bad people go to Preview. It's just PV. You don't even say the whole, it's PV. You don't say Preview A&M. So I said Southern Methodist SMU. I had to do my plug too. Okay. Yeah, yeah, Southern Methodist University, home of the highest tuition in the state. <laughs> <laughs> There's a takeaway. Put that in your paper. <laughs> so, all right, I'm going to get going. Uh, thanks again. And um, I guess enjoy your week. All right, you too. Thank you.